Believe in yourself, cause it starts with you, and then everyone else will believe you too. And if it looks like you're the only believer around, just keep on believing, don't put yourself down. Our guest this week grew up in Farmington, Michigan, and served as a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. On January 17th, 1969, his gunship came under heavy fire. He was shot in the nose with flak entering his eyes, leaving him blind. He then went on to earn a Juris Doctor degree from Georgetown University, and since 1979 has been a professor of business law at Rochester University. In 2013, he was awarded the National Outstanding Disabled Veteran of the Year. His name, Dr. John Todd. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to a most amazing human being who has been a professor of business law at Rochester University for the last 43 years. And he's also blind. His name, Dr. John Todd. Doctor, welcome, a real honor to have you. Jack, I'm a fan of yours and uh, I love the uh, motto of your show. Anything is possible. All right, Uh, let's start by talking about your childhood and your mom and your dad, please. Of course. The most important thing that I learned from my mother was that uh, she always had wet hands and a book in her hand. I remember her taking me to the Jesse Chase Branch Detroit Library when I was about five. And that impression of her reading all the time really inspired me. I, I try to preach to my college students. You need to read. And from my dad, he was a building contractor and a small businessman. So I learned that every morning when I'd wake up for school about seven o'clock, dad was gone and he didn't get back until darkness. When I was a teenager, I worked for him. I was a member of even the laborers union. So from my mom and dad, I, I learned to read and I learned to clean up after myself. Um, let's jump to 1967. You're drafted and you become a helicopter pilot, a Bell AH-1G Huey Cobra attack gunship. Describe yourself in early 1968 as a helicopter pilot. Well, I was very fortunate after being drafted. I passed the tests. For the for flight school and officer candidate school, and uh, it was a very rigorous program. Been training for over a year, and of course, we all knew that we would be going to Vietnam. Vietnam was the helicopter war, and uh, I got there in 1968 after the Tet Offensive. But still, there were over half a million Americans involved in the war. And the war was quite hot. So we had, as a gunship pilot, I had a lot of uh, business to do. And uh, I enjoyed it because 
having been drafted and trained as an infantryman, I knew what those guys were like and what they were doing on the ground. And when they called us, uh, we came on, on the run and uh, tried to uh, make their life a little better under enemy fire. You were Tom Cruise in Top Gun before there was a Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Uh, oh, I had the, the pleasure and privilege of serving with many, many great pilots and a lot of good officers and men and a lot of good uh, crew chiefs who maintained the aircraft. And uh, we owe them a lot. And then again, all of the men with whom I served in Vietnam. And that is... Uh, why later we might get into my political stuff without being political. All right. Let's go to January 8th, 1969. And I quote you, Jack, I was heroic that day. What did you do? I, on that particular day, I was, uh, we had a very big contact, uh, very big fight that lasted longer than most of them did, and it was an attack against the Vietnamese army troops. And uh, we came out first and expected the usual enemy response, but a North Vietnamese battalion, which would be a couple hundred soldiers, were attacking the Vietnamese. And we engaged the target for a few minutes, but the fire was so heavy that both of us were hit. We called back, got new aircraft hurried out, and then were more careful. We were able to save the day. And for that, I was very uh, proud to receive the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry with Bronze Star and later the American Medal, the Distinguished Flying Cross for Valor. That's the one they gave to Charles Lindbergh. A week later, I was hurt. So the only medal that I received when I was wounded uh, was uh, the Purple Heart. Um, when we come back, we're going to ask Professor John Todd about January 17th, 1969. And I'm Jack Rizzoul, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. I'm Jack Rizzoula, and we're with Professor John Todd. Professor, let's go back January 17th 1969, your mother's birthday, by the way. Yes. Well, it was a uh, fairly normal mission, uh, but uh, we were diving down, attacking the enemy, and uh, I got hit, and a bullet entered through my left cheekbone. And I was conscious for a minute. I heard the other pilots say that Double Three bought the farm, which of course meant that I was dead. And I tried to communicate with them, to tell them I wasn't dead. And I thought that at the bottom of our dive, uh, we would simply crash into the ground and I would be dead. However, he was able to pull out 
He contacted our base. I was back with the our unit's flight surgeon within six or seven minutes, and he saved my life. By that time, though, I was unconscious. And I woke up in a hospital in Saigon. But then I was transferred to a, a very big, good hospital in Japan, Camp Break. And the very first day I was there, a young medic uh, brought me my lunch, which at that time was a liquid diet. And he was opening the, the boxes or the bowls. And he asked me right out of the blue, sir, do you know Jesus? And at the time, I was 22. I had a sports car. I had a motorcycle. I was a pilot. I had not been brought up in any church, and I was single, and uh, so I said, I don't need that. If you want, we can talk about the war or football or women, but I don't need that. After six or seven major surgeries, one a week, just to save my life, I'd lost 30 or 40 pounds. The medical doctors told me that my vision would probably never come back. I couldn't be a pilot anymore. I couldn't drive my sports car or my motorcycle. I was ugly. I was single. And I was very depressed. Fortunately, came back. And he said, sir. And I knew who he was because we had talked. And I said, well. Can your Jesus help me? And without hesitation, he said, yes, sir, absolutely. And he prayed with me. And I decided that I needed God. I had been, I'd lived my whole life thinking that it was all about me. I lived my whole life growing up in the United States in the 50s with nice parents and a good middle-class life. I thought it was all me. But I realized then that I needed more. And from that point on, I began trying to study and learn more about Christianity and uh, finding a church. Um, I visited with you a few weeks ago in your office at Rochester University. And on your walls, John, are autographed letters and pictures from numerous presidents, your medals, but the biggest picture on your wall is a Life magazine cover of Jesus on the cross. Why? Jack, I'm glad you noticed that. I Several years ago, I heard about the famous, that famous cover from Life magazine. It was in the 50s. Uh, the magazine at the time cost 35 cents. And they had done a whole feature story on uh, the church or religion in America in circa 1950s. And on the cover, the cover was yellow, bright yellow. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it could have been Newsweek or Time or people, well, people didn't exist then, but it was Life magazine. And in the upper left corner, 
a red rectangle with white, bold letters, L-I-F-E, and then the cross and Jesus. And it struck me that that was such a fortunate event because that whole picture says it all. Jesus is life. And uh, for the last 52 years, he's been my life. So that's why I have that on the wall. Um, anybody who knew you up until that day in that hospital in Japan would say you were the least likely person they ever knew that would surrender to God. How did that happen? Well, again, I initially, after being wounded, I, I had a little bit of vision. I could tell when the sun was shining. So I always had hope, and the eye doctor said that there was a possibility that I possibly could regain my vision. And so I thought that for a long time, through those seven weeks of, in, of intense surgeries. But finally, I had an appointment with the doctors, and they said, well, we're sending you to Walter Reed, which was great. And by the way, Walter Reed was great for me. The, the wards there were full of young men like me. I, as a matter of fact, my best friends from the Vietnam War, not the men I flew with, but uh, were patients of Walter Reed. We had a great support group. And back to your question, Jack, I apologize. I just realized that I needed more than the physical and mental strength that I had. I was always very confident and uh, probably overconfident and probably too egotistical to even admit that I needed anyone or anything. But at that point, when I was down, and I will report, I think truthfully, and my parents who now deceased, my other family members, my wife, I think they always testify that I never really became bitter about it. I, what I did was I wanted to look ahead. Uh, as a youth, I wanted to be a lawyer and or a pilot. And so I had done the pilot thing. So I said, I'm going to law school. And then I was very fortunate that the Veterans Rehab Program, vocational rehab, did pick up the tab on law school. Let's go back almost 53 years to that January 17th morning. And God talks to you, John Todd, and he says, John, if you get in this gunship today, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be shot. And John, you're going to be blind for the rest of your life. Your choice, John, do you want to go in the gunship or not? Jack, it, I hope that I would have said, crank up, let's get out of the contact. Let's get to that firefight. I don't know if I would have. I honestly think I would. I was a, what we would call a scramble, meaning that the people became 
under attack uh, without much warning. They called us. We would run out to the aircraft, and I mean run. The aircraft would be prepared and armed and fueled, and our my helmet would be there. And so I, I hoped that I would have done the right thing. I, uh, but I, and I'm glad that uh, I did actually. To tell you the truth, the my being wounded really began my new life, my better life. I've been married to a wonderful woman. We went to law school together, like Bill and Hillary, although my wife is a natural blonde. And uh, I've had a great, wonderful career here, teaching, being with young people, trying to teach them what I could teach them about the law and about life, about Christ. And... Uh, so had that happened, I suppose I certainly would have done it. And one more thing. With my injury, I also sustained some hearing loss. And believe it or not, if on that day I had been given a premonition, a prediction, and perhaps a choice, would you pick being blind or hard of hearing? Surprisingly, I would pick being blind. A blind person, if he's fortunate enough to still have his mind, can do just about anything. You just have to do it slowly and carefully. I've built gazebos. I've taken out walls of my house. I've done a lot of contracting. Jack, you sat at my desks. I built that bookshelf that you looked at in all, most of the furniture in my office. So again, on the other hand, being hard of hearing is very tough. I feel very bad for deaf and hard of hearing people because once you lose that hearing, you really lose contact. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy with my life and my situation. You're talking to John Todd who says, Jack, I'm so thankful, and I say this every day. And I'm Jack Rasula, and this is Anything Is Possible, on News Talk 760 WJR. This is Anything Is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Rasula. We're talking to Dr. John Todd, who became in 71 and 72 a spokesperson for Richard Nixon on the subject of the Vietnam War. And you debated Jesse Jackson, Gloria Steinem, Jane Fonda, John Kerry. Uh, what was that like debating those people back in the early 70s when there was hatred for the Vietnam War? Yes. Uh, in uh, about 1971, uh, John Kerry and, of course, the peace movement. And by the way, there were millions of Americans who opposed the war. Uh, there were some people who perhaps uh, tilted a little too much toward the enemy. And they began telling the, the I would say, um, untruth that Vietnam veterans were psychotic 
drug addicts and psychotic murderers. And I felt that was simply untrue and a slander and a libel against the men with whom I served. And I was living in New York. I was actually just a professional patient. And so I would listen to radio and TV and all, most of the time they were talking about the Vietnam War. And I called a radio CBS station in New York, wanted to reply to an editorial. Then I became involved and in the leader of the Vietnam Veterans for Just Peace that supported President Nixon. I worked for about a year and a half. I went around the country debating uh, anti-war leaders, trying to be very logical. And, uh, and uh, so I enjoyed that. And as a matter of fact, had I not done that, I would not have met my wife, uh, providentially, believe it or not, on a blind date. And that was because you were invited to uh, the White House for a state dinner for the Vietnamese president. You needed a date. And a friend said, well, I know this lady named Joyce. And the rest yes. is history. The rest is history. We had a blind date that night, uh, which was, I believe, a Saturday night at a very formal big state dinner. And I asked her, by the way, whenever I would travel around the country for speaking for on the Vietnam War, I would always ask people if they went to church. I was searching for a church. And I then asked her, and she said, yes. So I arranged to go to church with her the next morning. When we came out, I said, uh, that was an excellent sermon, but what did he mean when he said such and such? He quoted a verse. She reached down, picked up the Bible, read the verse, and then explained it. I said, you can read the Bible. You know what it says. And she told me that she graduated from Michigan Christian College, which is now Rochester University, and Pepperdine University. And that's when I found my wife and my church and my mission in life. Speaking of your mission in life, one of the missions you did in 77, 78 was you wrote. Uh, you in, indeed typed it yourself. And then you got yourself helped get yeah. it passed through Congress. What was the bill that you drafted and got passed through Congress? It was called DIC. Of course, no one knows what that means. I didn't know what it meant at the time. And what it was is a bill that would provide benefits for widows and orphans of totally disabled veterans. In 77, 30 years after World War II, where veterans got many, many benefits, Veterans groups talked to me and said they needed this bill. They'd been working on it for 30 years and never even got in the door. It had never even been introduced. So I took the job as a challenge and I began lobbying Congress. By the way, this is when I was in law school, so perhaps my studies suffered. My studies suffered, but I, I did graduate. I passed the bar first time. And I worked in Congress lobbying for that bill. And yes, I sat down at my wife's red IBM Selectric, 
typed up the bill myself, presented it to the House and Senate. Then I did a lot of research and lobbying. I was very proud that it passed. We're talking to Professor John Todd on January 17, 1969. He was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. He was shot in the nose, flak entered his eyes. He's been blind since. All right. 10 years after you were shot, you came to a little school, Rochester College. How did that ever happen? Well, again, it was uh, my wife and I, we think of it as providential. She had gone to Michigan Christian, now Rochester U, and uh, had many friends among the faculty and staff. And when I told them about my lobbying and my work in Congress, the dean said, you've got to come out and speak to our chapel. And I did that. And later, someone mentioned, well, you should uh, come and become a faculty member. Now, at the time, I, when I had gone to VA blind school, they gave me a lot of tests. And on my exit interview, the educational psychologist wanted to go over those tests. And he told me, you would be happy as a pilot. I rolled my eyes, which were blind, and I laughed, said I was a pilot. I was happy. Then he said, you would be content as a lawyer. I said, great. Pay for law school. He said, don't worry, that's all taken care of. Then he grabbed my arm and he said, now listen to me, just as sternly as that. You should become a teacher. I looked at him, I rolled my blind eyes again, and I said, education was a means to an end for me. I didn't like it. I did it. I didn't much like teaching or teachers. I don't want to be a teacher. But then, as Jackie pointed out, a few years later, I had the opportunity, and I thought I would try. After two semesters, a full year, I knew that it got it put me in the right place. I loved it. I've been doing it for 42 years. I love the students. I love my faculty friends. And I love the mission. We're talking to Dr. John Todd. When we come back, we're going to ask him why he loves Rochester University, the students, and the mission. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on News Talk 760 WJR. Jack Krizula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Anything is possible. 15 of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says... 
Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. I'm Jack Basula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Dr. John Todd, who since 1979 has been a professor of business law at Rochester University. Tell us about this place that you love so much, Rochester U. Well, I began certainly as Michigan Christian. We've gone on from there. I actually I wrote a limerick about it. I can't remember right now. I'm talking about we prayed through our adversity, and now we love our diversity. We've got a great group of students. They're all very, very sweet kids. Most of them are uh, pretty uh, serious Christians, and they live that way and act that way. We also have many, many foreign students whom I love. I can't imagine if I went to uh, Nigeria or Italy as a college student, an American college student, if I could do well with a second language, but they seem to. And then, of course, all of our faculty members are very, very nice, wonderful people. And the atmosphere here from the very beginning, my very first day, they treated me like an equal. So very often I'd have to take someone's elbow and walk across campus, but they never treated me as a blind person. They treated me as a fellow equal scholar. And then, of course, the students. But actually, I learned later, I actually love school. I love to read and write and speak. And uh, so you put those three together, and with my uh, life as a Christian missionary here at the school, uh, those three factors add up to a great life, and I've been doing it for 42 years. This is my last semester. Speaking of an equal, uh, there's another person at Rochester University that refers to you as the rookie and the kid, because he's been there for 50 years, Garth Pleasant. Tell us about Garth Pleasant. Garth is simply the embodiment of optimism and uh, peppered with rationality and uh, just an all-around great guy. He was a great coach here, won national championships. He also served as a preacher for 30 years. And the thing about Garth, the minute you meet him, you know that he's sincere. And his son, Clint, has taken over and is a vice president here, also another great basketball coach. If you want to Garth learn more, would, would say to more. about his students, reading, writing, and religion, and running. If you want to learn more, www.rochesteru.edu. John, Professor, how have the students changed these past 42 years? Jack, as society has changed, our young people have changed. And I, as I said earlier, I still believe that they're 
most of them are honest, sincere, wonderful, sweet kids. But I think that they're reading less. I think they might be online and texting more. And uh, I, what I like to tell them is they need to get back to those basics, uh, reading their textbooks, reading the Bible occasionally, and uh, working a little harder. I pray for them each day that they would uh, get back literally to the basics. Of course, many of them have part-time jobs. Tuition costs have gone up even here. And they've got uh, significant others and uh, problems and challenges. So they're very, very busy. I still appreciate and love them all, but they are different than 40 years ago. The six greatest words anyone can ever hear in is well done, good and faithful servant. Someday, if we hear those words from our Heavenly Father, it's utopia forever. John, when yeah. you hear those words, what are you going to tell our Heavenly Father? I'm going to tell him I don't deserve it, but I'm thankful for your grace. And friends, Professor Todd says that as the tears are rolling down his cheeks. You have phenomenal fight and resolve in you. You've had that since that January 17th, 69 event that left you blind. How do we get that fight and that resolve in our life? I would say, Jack, that it, I think it comes from my faith and my beliefs that God created me, God had put me on the earth when he did in the United States. He gave me a good, healthy body, a very good mind, I think. And I just came to the belief, not only in God and his grace, but I think mainly I decided that he needed me to do some work here. That's why he saved my life. I am thankful every day, not only that he saved my life, but that I could have been brain injured. Fortunately, I have my brain. I had the uh, good sense to marry a wonderful woman, to worship God through these years, and to teach here at Rochester University. Speaking of brain injuries, if there's a veteran from Afghanistan or Iraq tonight, our current day heroes, that finding life really challenging for him or her right now, what do you say to those young heroes tonight? Well, a few of them have suffered more horrible injuries than I. I, again, I feel so lucky, so fortunate. I was seriously injured, and I, according to the VA tables uh, and VA benefits, I'm 100%. But as I said, I still have my brain. I still can think, read, and write, and teach. So I feel very bad for them. And the thing that I tell them is, 
they more than ever need, need religion and God in their life. Because as a friend of mine, Jack Rasula says, with God, anything is possible. Um, thank you. As our time winds down together tonight, could you lead us in a closing prayer, Professor? I would be privileged. Dear God, we thank you so much for creating us the way that you did in your image. You gave us our free will. You gave us our curiosity and our creativity. You gave us talents and gifts that we can serve you with. We pray for Jack and show, and for each member of the audience, especially as he pointed out, the War on Terror veteran. Please be with us. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we pray also for John Todd and his better half, Joyce, who we met on a blind date. Be with them. Godspeed. Thanks for being a phenomenal guest. Thanks for all you do for the Rochester community. You're very welcome, Jack. Thanks. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Rasula. Thanks for listening and make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spoke. Believe in yourself.